I have a lot of feelings about this last season. A lot of them are not as negative as other people's feelings. I agree. So. I like I'm I'm with you that I liked that last episode a lot. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and I have recently become a farmer in Stardew Valley because I just got into that game. With me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Uh, Martha Sullivan, early morning librarian, a non-coffee drinker, and current uh, nostalgia scholar. Yes, we are recording this early on a Tuesday morning uh, so that we can be talking about Game of Thrones uh, the a day, basically one full day after it aired. Uh, this is the this is the closest we have ever cut our recording to um, <laughs> when the episode is supposed to drop. This is true, and also probably the earliest we've ever recorded. It's a little rough, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, uh, this episode is going to be all about Game of Thrones. Your homework, as you may remember, was to have watched Game of Thrones. Um, I'm just going to say right here at the top that we're going to be talking about the most recent episode. So, uh, here's your spoiler warning. You probably picked up on that by the fact that the episode is titled Talking About Game of Thrones. Um, but in case you got this far and you're still like, hmm, maybe they won't spoil things. Nah, we're going to spoil things. We are gonna spoil things. But before we get into spoiling Game of Thrones, we have to talk about what is stuck in our head. The piece of pop culture that we just can't stop thinking about uh, other than Game of Thrones. Martha, what you got? Um, so those of you who watched Game of Thrones live on Sunday or exist on the internet or are a book nerd like me may have noticed that we got a new trailer for the His Dark Materials uh, miniseries that is coming out later this year, and I am incapable of rational thought about this. <laughs> uh, we have discussed on the podcast before um, my love, my deep and unabiding love for The Golden Compass and that whole series of books. Um, the sounds that I made when I watched this trailer were not human sounds. <laughs> I They were Damon sounds. They, they perhaps <laughs> were. Um, no, I'm really excited. I think it looks great. I think I really love Daphne Keene, who was the little girl from Logan and is now going to play Lyra. I think Eoric looks awesome. I'm, I'm super jazzed. I can't wait. Yeah, I agree. I'm very excited about it. I'm thinking that around when that comes out, we should maybe do an episode just about His Dark Materials. Um, he's also got, he's also got a new book coming out this fall. Oh, great! Uh, book two of Book of Dust. Yes, although Sweet. it's going to be um, Book of Dust was a prequel, and this new one is going to be set after right. the His Dark Materials series. So it'll be um, like Lyra's like twenty or something. Yeah, she's an adult. Yeah. Uh, well, great! I did not know that, so I am getting super excited. Um. I did like that His Dark Materials was part of a longer ad campaign that uh, they aired right before Game of Thrones, which was basically, uh, we know Game of Thrones is ending, don't cancel HBO, look at all this cool yes. new stuff we have coming. <laughs> Although the fact that the people who watch Westworld have to wait until 2020 for new Westworld is rough. <laughs> I watch Westworld and I enjoy watching it, but I'm not, like, when it comes out, I'll watch it. And I won't get, think about it in between. Um, yeah, I tried. It's not my jam. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, my husband is very excited. To, to wait for uh, a full year? No, just about what's <laughs> Right. Uh, Pete, what's stuck in your head? Yeah, I'm going to cheat a little bit because the last two weeks have been awesome for music. Um, two weeks ago, Jamila Woods came out with her second album called Legacy Legacy. It's incredible. Um, longtime listeners will recall that her first album, Heaven, was one of the very first homework assignments we ever had. Uh, so that's album also, one. Also my favorite homework from that year. 
yeah, that was really good. And uh, you, if you haven't listened to Legacy Legacy yet, Martha, uh, you should. Um, I'm very excited about it. <laughs> all the track names are named after artists of color who inspired her in some way. Um, <gasps> and many of them are, like, tangentially about those, like, artists specifically. Um, Pitchfork had, like, an... an uh, track by track interview with her where she sort of like talks about each one and breaks it down yeah uh then this uh past week both carly ray jepsen and the national came out with new albums in very different sounds but all of them up my alley uh carly yeah it's really good i love her i um, love her so much <laughs> uh the, the national's album also came with like a 30 minute black and white abstract experimental movie starring Vilicia Vikander um, that is just a person's life in its entirety told through brief impressions um, and it's one of the best things I've seen recently. So I am suffused with new music uh, which I'm really enjoying. This is I think the beginning of a summer with a lot of good new music coming out so I'm, I'm very excited about all that. Cool. I'm excited for you. Yeah. All right, so we are going to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we're going to begin by spoiling Game of Thrones and talking about it, talking about what it was to our culture, um, you know, the, the, the successes and pitfalls of this specific season, about the show in general, um, and whether there will ever be anything like it ever again. So, come right back. I guess stick around and we'll be right back. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going anywhere. And we're back. Martha, wasn't it crazy when Arya killed Danny and rode off on Drogon to uh, become the Queen of Essos? Uh, yeah, I'm much more partial to the part where Jon declared his undying love for Tormund and the two of them uh, sailed away on Yara's ship of bisexuality to go live on the Iron Islands with Ghost. Yeah, it was really sweet that they got Ghost to be the ring bearer. <laughs> um, so those are our fake spoilers for Game of Thrones. Now let's get into the real discussion. Um, the way we're going to do this is we're going to start by first talking mostly about just season eight, um, our overall impressions and thoughts of this last season, and then this is going to lead to a lot of other discussions. Um, we're going to be talking about fan entitlement, some of the problems that uh, people thought with season eight. Although, um, spoiler, Martha and I liked season eight probably more than other people on the internet did. So uh, we'll, well be. S Martha liked most of season eight. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> and more than some people on the internet is a very wide uh, range of enjoyment. <laughs> Um, yes. Once we sort of wrap up season eight, we're going to be talking about our overall feelings of the show, the impact that it had on pop culture in general, and uh, sort of where we go from here, whether there's any more monoculture or whether it's it's siloed away forever now. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a little bit freewheeling, uh, but we'll hit some hopefully important ideas. Um, right off the bat, let's just say how we felt about the the season um and especially the ending okay so here's my deal season eight did a lot of things that i really liked um particularly these like the, the first episode and then the last two um i think that we got a lot it, it felt very circular to me, which is a, a way of telling stories that I really love. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that what we see in the finale in the last two episodes is like the end result of a lot of seeds that we have seen sown throughout the course of the show. My problem with season eight is that this six episode nonsense with long episodes was a mistake that I think killed the show. Yes. 
Um, I think that if we had had our full eight to 10 episodes where each episode was only an hour long, they might've used their time more wisely. Um, I don't think the showrunners knew what to do with an hour and a half of time. And I think that it led to them making decisions that were frankly puzzling about how they spent that time. But no, I, I liked the character development that we got in the first episode. I liked the culmination of all of these character arcs in the last episode. I liked how Cersei and Jamie went out. I thought that felt completely appropriate. Um, Even though I it liked... broke your, you would have lost some money on that one. Well, <laughs> for listeners, I was very strongly feeling that the way that the the Lannister twins would go out is that Jamie would kill Cersei and then kill himself. And I, I mean, literally to the most literal sense of literally, that is not what happened. Um, but also I don't think there was ever any doubt that the two of them would go out together. Right. Um, I also like the banality of it. Like sort of people complained that it felt too abrupt. Um, but I, it's like, it's a city that's falling apart and under siege that I kind of liked it. Like, you don't get a well, heroic death, necessarily. You get buried under rubble. And I heard a lot of complaints about the fact that people felt like Jamie's character arc had been scrapped or not fulfilled. And I think the point of his character arc is not that he breaks free of the hold his sister has on him, but that he recognizes it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And, like, rather than trying to break from her it becomes, okay, I can't break from her. How do I contain her and her blast radius <laughs> uh, to protect the like largest number of people? Because I think that's his intent when he goes to King's Landing. Like, I don't necessarily, he's thinking, I have to kill Cersei. It's, I have to get her away from this. And in doing that, we'll also be able to hopefully save a large number of people yeah i i agree 100 percent um i'm i'm with you that i i could see a couple longer episodes i think that the um uh the, the two battle episodes worked being long but the rest it needed eight to ten episodes um minimum so many events happened for no well explained reason um it, it felt very much like uh, watching the outline being filmed rather than the actual, like, uh, words being filmed. Um, this I thought, is my theory. Oh, sorry. Well, so I, I thought that I liked the first three episodes, actually. A lot of people complained about the Night King fight. There were some things. But in general, I thought it was, like, good spectacle. Um, and then season four, re or episode four, really kind of clunked um, in a way that I think did a huge damage to the the show overall and how we're going to think of its legacy um i, I heard the battle of winterfell was weak sauce mm, fair um i thought it was i thought it was poorly filmed i thought that the strategic decisions people were making made no sense oh yeah i mean particularly in light of the fact that this is a world where we got the battle of the blackwater which was strategically a great, like a very well-designed battle. Um, I don't know. I thought the, the Battle of Winterfell was a failure on almost all fronts, except the part where Arya kills the Night King. That ruled. Um, th there were some strong visuals. Uh, the, the zombie scene in the library, the Dothraki riding out and, like, disappearing. Um, but How could you see anything? <laughs> I we we were watching on on a good enough TV I guess that it was fine. Um I agree that from a character perspective that episode was a disaster because they made possibly every wrong decision they could make on how to defend Winterfell from zombies. Um which is on an ongoing frustration dating back to season 7 that there's all these people who claim to be very clever making just senselessly dumb mistakes because that's, you know, because we need to kill Rhaegal, so we're not going to have Euron's magical teleporting fleet of invisibility is able to just kill him out of the air because no one saw the massive fleet. Um, 
well, and is an ongoing I problem. Think, that I think is my main gripe with season eight is that I think the showrunners had a lot of things that they felt they needed to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so they just did them without necessarily thinking through the whys and the hows. Right. There's they were no... just like, this is where we need these characters to get. This is the ending that we need. And this is why I think the last two episodes are so strong, is I think that they probably knew how they wanted to end this whole thing, but they didn't know how to get there, mm-hmm. so they just went there. Um, I, I read an interesting Twitter thread uh which we'll link to in the show, hopefully, uh, if I can find it again, um, comparing two different writing styles described as uh, plotters versus pantsers. Um, pantsers are fly by the seat of the pants. That's where that name comes from. Um, and the idea is that the, the plotter writing style creates a very strong outline from the get-go and thinks, okay, my characters need to get from point A to point B to point C. How do I get them there? Um, pantsers think of characters as, as fully fleshed out individuals and think, what would my character do in this situation? Um, neither one is necessarily inherently better than the other, um, but George R. R. Martin is 100% the latter, and I think the showrunners were the former. Um, and once we lose Martin's sort of fleshing out of his characters back when, like, you know, the, the show passed the books, I think it really sort of the show stumbled a lot more because we went from working off a framework of character-motivated action to working off a framework of plot-motivated action. Well, I think if our showrunners are plotters, which I believe is what you just said, yes, they're bad. They're bad plotters because I I think that there are also there are also not a lot of moments in season eight where one action necessarily follows another. Right. I I think they skip a lot of steps. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Uh, but, it, like, they are definitely not a character-driven people. I think they're event-driven writers. Um, and, and you're right yes. that, the, that the problem is they have six cool events they want to do, so they're just going to show you those six cool events and none of the in-between. Yes. Um, another thing that I liked that I think I may be alone in liking... I liked Danny's death scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny is a character that I have always loved um, for what should what are probably obvious reasons to our listeners and to anybody who's met me before. Um, I was really mad. I'm not mad about the fact that they took her to Mad Queen territory. I'm mad that they skipped steps doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm skipping ahead in our show notes a little bit, um, because what I wish they had done was given us, let us see her ruling, like give us an episode where she actually gets to be queen, like show us that she's going to do it badly. Because right now we have a lot of talk in the flush of victory, which I don't know constitutes madness. (laughs) I would have rather have seen her actually, like, do some bad stuff. Um, you, you to have that feel more earned. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with all of those statements, including I liked her death scene. I, um, I did not like, I, I was fine with the move that they, like, the heel turn they did, but not how they executed it. Um, you talking about that right now now it feels a lot like so women in history and also in fiction have a really bad record with being labeled with having like traits labeled as hysteria or madness where if we saw the same thing in a male character it would not get painted that way Mm -hmm. and i think what we what we see in Game of Thrones, like explicitly what is on the screen, we see her grief. We see her fear that she's not going to achieve this thing that she's been fighting for her whole life. We see her sadness at people when people she thinks she thought she could trust betray her. 
I don't necessarily know that all of those beats end up explicitly or add up explicitly to insanity yet. Well, I, I needed, I needed a couple more things. I, I was talking to my husband about this and I said, what I really missed was a scene where they're like, maybe where they're on the road to King's Landing so that we could have seen the common people of Westeros for mm-hmm. whom like their stock has always been important to Danny. Like she has always kind of painted herself as, you know, the savior of the common people. And I think it would have been a lot more effective to see that the common people of Westeros hate her mm-hmm. because she's like, she's the figurehead for this like brutal house that they thought that they were done with. And that I think would have gone a long way towards making up some of that ground. Well, I, I really disliked the fact that they went with, like, the Targaryen madness angle and the Mad Queen angle. It feels very much like, you know, I I love the idea that they finally got to in the last episode where um, Tyrion sort of get, has that speech to Jon about how, like, she's always been a more vicious ruler than, like, we sort of think of her as. And then her speech to the Unsullied and the Dothraki of, like, we're going to liberate the entire world. That's a really good angle because that's not, like, mad queen or insanity. That's um person who, like, believes in their heart of hearts is right about something and is going to go do it even though that something is, like, bad. Like, they're bad methods for good means. And those kinds of characters I find super fascinating. That's why I always loved Stannis because he thought what he was doing was right, even when he was doing appalling things. Um, and that's not madness, and that's not, like, the Targaryens had a weird genetic quirk where 50 of them are, 50% of them are crazy. That's That felt so reductive that that was the direction they went, of, like, well, you know, Targaryens, sometimes they're crazy. It looks like Danny like, the coin flipped bad for her. Um, sure. Which felt incredibly weak sauce. Um Whereas character who believes they're justified and will commit atrocities for those reasons is like, that's a fleshed out three-dimensional character that you can both disagree with and understand why they would have to be stopped. Um, And I think fits her, her entire eight season character development a lot better. I don't necessarily know, or I don't necessarily think that what you're talking about is mutually exclusive with the idea of her also being insane, Mm -hmm. but I see, I see what you're talking about and I fully agree. Uh, Just going back to her death scene really quick. What I liked about it was that since this is a character that I have spent 10 years loving, even when she frustrates me because girl has made some bad life choices Mm -hmm. and I'm not discounting that. Um, I liked that her death was not a spectacle. I liked that it was small and intimate and that it, and that it hurt the person doing it. Mm -hmm. Although I will say that having said that, I read another thread on Twitter. I feel like we're going to be going back to that pool a lot, (laughs) um, that talked about the damage of, that talked about how harmful this story of the man kills the woman because it's basically it's basically the medieval look what you made me do mm. and that sucks i i would feel that 100% more if the show ended with like john on the throne the fact that he he did that it hurt him and then he wasn't rewarded for it but was like exiled again um that felt it, it that felt right. I was I was all prepared for just, for Danny getting killed I this just, episode, but I would have been furious if John had um, taken the throne. Yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because, like, like I said, I liked it, but I I want to acknowledge sure. that one of the issues that the showrunners have always had and have had like a lot in this season is prioritizing the male characters above the women. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I do think, was definitely a case of a lot of men deciding what their personal thoughts and feelings were about a woman and then making a bodily autonomy choice for her. 
And I, I think it's more complicated than that, but that is the structure that we're hanging it on. And it would feel gross not to at least acknowledge that that's part of what is happening. Right. Well, it doesn't help that at this point, the only people around her are men. Like, because the show yes. has killed off every other woman around her. Yeah, because the show literally didn't know what to do with a character of color, so they had to... <laughs> or anyone from Dorne. Um, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, that, that feels like a pretty good discussion of, of our thoughts overall, unless you've got any other... Um, Comments. Yeah, I wanted so I wanted to talk. I put something in the show notes about um, the apathy of the showrunners, and I I think that a lot of the issues that we see in season eight, you know, regardless of your overall feelings, like it had pacing problems, it had timing problems, it had character problems, and I have been reading a lot about how HBO offered. Benioff and Weiss a full season order mm -hmm. which they turned down um, and it is impossible for me to not read into that that they just wanted to be done with this show like they they didn't want to work on it for eight more episodes if they could get done in six awesome some of the support I have for this are that Starbucks cup in episode two <laughs> Um, the water bottle in the last episode. The water bottle in the season finale. Like, this is one of the most expensive shows to make on TV right now. Those are inexcusable gaffes, and I cannot imagine... I mean, it's because somebody didn't care. It's because somebody wanted to push these through to, like, push these through to production... I cannot imagine that nobody noticed those two things, but somebody said, oh, it doesn't matter. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think that they didn't care enough to sit down and think through a full episode season. And that makes me more, that makes me more angry than anything else that they had the last season of this thing that has been so big for so long and it really feels like their primary motivation was just, well, let's just get this done. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I usually end up watching like the episode, like post-episode discussion, which is some of the most banal, useless discussion uh, imaginable with um, them just explaining what you just saw, but poorly. And yes. it's always felt like they haven't had the greatest grasp on their characters. But this, the... The postseason discussion this season felt particularly um, disengaged and like they were missing the mark about what what they were trying to do and what was going on. Um, e even sometimes it's just the idea of like, oh, if, if that's what you think is happening, then you did a poor job executing that thing. Um, yes. Which is, yeah, very telling. Um, speaking of that but from an entirely different direction we've been talking a lot about twitter um and you know our our takes being one thing and the internet's takes being another thing um this last season saw a massive amount of fan backlash against the show um obviously uh martha you've got on the show notes uh the idea of fan entitlement which this season i think really sort of brought to the forefront in a way that i've seen a lot more of basically through Twitter in the past couple of years, looking at things like Star Wars and uh, Marvel fandoms, um, and now this. So do you want to lead into that sure. discussion? So after the, after the fifth episode, the second to last episode, there was a petition going around to have HBO, Benioff and Weiss, redo season eight in a quote-unquote more satisfying way. Well, I thought this the petition isn't... was like to get better, like to fire Benioff and Weiss and have, like, have new Maybe. writers. Perhaps. The point was they wanted to redo the show in a way that, quote unquote, in a way that they found, quote-unquote, more satisfying. Yeah. This is insanity. Yep. Um, we saw this after The Last Jedi. We also, I do believe that there was a, there may have been a GoFundMe from people who are like, we'll remake this movie. And it's like, are, I'm just 
gonna watch and you let me know when disney sends you that cease and desist (laughs) i think you're right that there was a gofundme um and then somebody had a cut where he just cut all the female characters out or something yeah but this this idea that fans have so much control over the media they consume that they can demand that it be changed Mm um one of the i i saw something that traced this pattern of behavior back to Mass Effect 3 where the fan outcry about the ending was so vociferous that Bioware actually did release a patch with new endings Hmm. Um, however a friend of mine who is a scholar of Victorian literature pointed out that this actually goes back a long way like to where Arthur Con- Sir Arthur Conan Doyle killed Sherlock Holmes and then brought him back to life because people were so mad about it. Yep. So this is not really a new phenomenon. It's just a bad one. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's amplified because of the internet and because of Twitter. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, obviously creators are making media to be consumed. However, they don't owe their audience anything. Like, by consuming the pop culture that we do, I feel like we are entering into sort of an implicit agreement with a creator that says, I want the show, I want the thing that you are making, and the creator gets to say, okay, this is what it is, enjoy it or don't, to quote Ron Swanson. <laughs> I, I will say that the, uh, I generally agree, the one thing I would say is that and, and this goes back to your idea of creator apathy, is that creators should strive to do the best job they can creating the work. Um, and then, obviously, if it's not what the fans wanted, that's on the fans, not on the creators. Um, but I, I mean, I, we, I, can, yeah. we, can, we can critique the creators. Like, Absolutely. this is not freedom... This is not freedom from criticism, mm-hmm. but to demand that they redo something to our specifications it I is mean, insanity. They're not they're not circus performers. Right. They're they're creators. Like in like I said, enjoy it or don't. If it's not satisfying to you, go make your own thing. In... Like how many times I would love to see the circle or the Venn diagram of these people who are complaining about it, who also whenever women pop up to criticize media for poor portrayals of women or people of color or, you know, insert minority here, how many of these people are also the people that go, oh, we'll just make your own thing if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Entitlement is, is a really good word here um, because it's like it's if it were a book, then it's like, yeah, you're demanding that the author rewrite the book, which not great. This is a show involving hundreds of people, some of which, you know, many of whom are doing other things. So the the, the short-sightedness or, like, the, the lack of individual empathy, empathy <laughs> yeah, for, like, everyone involved is mind-blowing. Um, that being said, we've, we haven't mentioned this at all, and this is a massive tangent, but this season, I think, had some of the best acting that the show has ever had. I... I have been watching clips from previous seasons. These actors have grown tremendously. Like, mm-hmm. even when they have garbage to work with. Like, the the one character that I truly feel was mistreated this season was Brienne of Tarth. Mm-hmm. And even, even when that was true, like, Gwendolyn Christie is breaking my heart all over the place. Yes. I wish, and part of that is why I so... I wish deep into my bones that Sophie Turner and Lena Headey had had a scene together this oh, season. Yeah. They would have killed it. Yeah. Uh, Lena Headey, I think, had seven lines of dialogue this entire se- like season and was still incredible. She probably filmed everything for this season, like, before going to brunch on a Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in one location. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but did phenomenal work with it um and even like i've i've been hot and cold on um uh amelia clark um over the over the years with sometimes i think she it requires important like she does she has to do a lot of big emoting with her face and sometimes she nails it and sometimes she doesn't um this season and especially the last two episodes i think she absolutely sold 
um, the garbage he was given to sell. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the last thing I kind of want to say about fan entitlement is that there was no way they were going to come up with an, with an ending that everybody liked. I mean, that's sort of the nature of endings, mm-hmm. particularly it feels like of TV endings. Like some, some people are always going to hate it. Yeah. Just always. Um, Cause it's, it's hard to leave something. Yes. It's hard to stick that landing. Um, another criticism that I saw about the ending is that this wasn't so much an ending as it was things just stopping. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that, um, a lot of people are kind of in the same place that they were in at the beginning of the show. I just don't know that that's a necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think it's kind of cool that the Starks all kind of got what they wanted just in a different form than they perhaps thought they wanted it in. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, it feels right. He like Martin creates a big sprawling story that, reads almost like like history um at the end of the war of the roses which he famously based this off of it's not like cool that's it now like henry the seventh is king that's history stops uh like history continues um and this felt very much like that like a large climactic event happened but people will continue to live their lives afterwards and there will be new stories and new adventures that are not being told here um, and I thought that was a very good way to end the show. Well, and also he and the showrunners, I think, are very into circular storytelling, mm-hmm. which, again, I also am. And I think they had a very hard balance to strike between Danny's stated desire to break the wheel, but also show that humanity's nature is essentially circular. Like, we are always going to gravitate towards the familiar yeah so even though like we have a king now who necessarily can't continue a monarchy we still have a king Mm -hmm. like it's different but it's also the same enough that it like people can people can accept it like i laughed out loud when sam tarley tried to invent democracy because i was like i respect this but this is not your audience i he said that and i i said like he has to be laughed down and then two seconds later he's laughed down which is the correct response um but elected monarchy that's a step in the right direction yeah so like that move just did would not have made a lick of sense yeah yeah (laughs) So I would like to talk about the place that this show has in pop culture, um, because we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of things about like, you know, is this the is this the last show that people are going to enjoy collectively at the same time every week? Um, I referred to it in the show notes as is this the death of monoculture being like, is this the last thing that so many people are going to have so universally in common. I'm not sure. I don't know that we can make that call without seeing what the next thing is. Um, but I, I just want to pay homage to the fact that this show should not have been as universally beloved as it was. And I think it's kind of incredible that it turned into the phenomenon that it did. Yes. It, in what, 2011, this show came out? 2012? Um, Nine or ten years ago, yeah. Yeah. Like, fantasy was not any more or less popular than it had been before. Um, the show is convoluted and complicated with a bunch of weird names. Um, and somehow became a juggernaut. Um, I will say I'm always fascinated at the difference between sort of event culture and then low-level enjoyment culture. Um, and by that I mean up until the, the finale that aired on Sunday, um, 
Big Bang Theory has always had a higher viewership count than Game of Thrones. Uh, but nobody talks about Big Bang Theory because it's just something you have on as you fold laundry or whatever. Um, or you don't like it and you've never watched it, like me. Um, and I, I, I think that's a huge thing in our culture that there are shows... Anytime you have a list of, like, the 10 most popular shows, it's always shows that are never talked about, um, that are just on all the time, and that appeal to a very specific demographic. Um, and so it's, it's like, will there be another water cooler show that everyone is watching as it's being released and talking about the next, uh, you know, Monday morning? Maybe. But even something like Stranger Things, which I think comes close, because it was dropped all at once, didn't have that sort of stretch in the same way that Game of Thrones has. That was like yeah, two I entirely think... different thoughts, I realize, um, <laughs> smushed together into one. I'm actually, I'm a little bit more interested in talking about the fact that a genre of, like a big genre fantasy show became such a universal thing because like i i feel like the closest thing we had before this was lord of the rings or harry potter mm -hmm. and even those well, th those were movies um right and even like harry potter still has kind of a like oh well it's for kids um but like genre tv maybe the walking dead Oh, yeah, yeah. It's comparable. Which is somehow still ongoing. God, yeah, talk, for real. <laughs> talk about zombies. Um, but, like, when, when The Walking Dead was first started and, and was, like, firing on all cylinders, I think it was comparable to Game of Thrones in terms of um, the show, every like, a show that everyone was talking about that was, you know... It wasn't an anti-hero show in the way that, like, Breaking Bad was, which was, like, riffing off Sopranos. It, it was zombies. Mm hmm So, I don't know. I don't know that I have a point to all of this. I just think that it's interesting, because, like, the things, the reasons that Game of Thrones has become such a universal thing is the stuff that people who are, like, those of us who have been, who have been, um fans of sci-fi and fantasy have been saying forever that like just because there are dragons doesn't mean that these stories don't deal with like very real human emotion or human connection or like tangly politics like i feel like we've been saying this stuff about fantasy forever but now people kind of understand it better i guess well and going back to sort of how the show has has changed over time whether for good or for ill i think that some of the best when the show was working best there weren't really dragons like the dragons were not the point the point was the messy politics and the petty backstabbing and the personal dramas um like episodes where the entire thing is just in one in a variety of rooms in castles which could be just a historical period piece um if you just do a find replace on all the names um and then when the show became all about the spectacle and the fantasy we were all still invested because of like it almost backdoored fantasy where we all got like people who aren't fantasy people got into it because of the politics and the the um emotions and, and everything and then by the you know, seventh season, the they're all in on ice dragons. <laughs> I mean, and the boobs. Well, sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> we can never forget that this gave us the term sex position, uh, which works better as a visual portman or a word portmanteau than a verbal portmanteau. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I have any more to say about that. I just kind of wanted to point out that like we've been here the whole time welcome to our house <laughs> <laughs> well i am uh I, i'm excited as a, a fan of fantasy that every tv show or every uh, uh channel now and content provider uh is looking for quote the next game of thrones and they all think that means fantasy and we're gonna get a lot of bad fantasy out of that but um amazon's lord of the rings i think that could be very cool um 
because I want I'm to go to play decide, in that world again. I'm trying to decide if I think the His Dark Materials adaptation would have gotten made if it wasn't for Game of Thrones. I don't think so, because I think HBO has just... I mean, it, it was doing really good prestige television before, but Game of Thrones sort of catapulted it to the next level. And because they don't have a clear replacement, like, clearly they want Westworld to be, but it isn't. Um, they're doing a lot of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And if His Dark Materials can be the next breakout show, then sure, why not? Um, there's the Venn diagram of people who like His Dark Materials, and Game of Thrones is probably pretty big. Fair. But yeah, I do think that we're going to see things get made that would not otherwise have gotten a chance. Mm -hmm. And that is exciting, yes. I think. Yes. Because for every Shannara Chronicles, hopefully we'll get, you know, something that's actually good. Right. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been watching it the last couple seasons, but apparently The Magicians is still kicking and doing really interesting stuff. Okay, so the note that I will make about The Magicians is that was true hmm. until the most recent season finale, after which I cannot in good consciousness recommend it to anybody. Like, retroactively? Yes. Interesting. Like, I, I am a person for whom I believe very strongly that a bad ending does not invalidate the journey that I have taken with yeah. a piece of media. Um, the Magicians is the exception. Wow. I think that what they did what they did with the main character is unconscionable and damaging and insulting. So I'm sorry if Marin is still watching that. <laughs> I, I don't I, think she's watched this season. Like, I kind of don't want to spoil it, but I also feel like most people already know what I'm referring to. But yeah, it sucks. Okay. Wow. Dang. Um, well, at it's least like it, had, it had a couple seasons of, of doing good and interesting stuff, I guess. <laughs> it really did, and I think that's one of the reasons people are so mad about it. But it, it ended up being, like, the very worst of the barrier gaze trope, mm. and I'm just so tired of it. Anyway. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, with regards to Game of Thrones? I don't think so. All right. I mean, the answer is Look yes, obviously, but also we should, like, go on with our lives. Yeah, I'll probably put it in my newsletter. So if you guys are curious, subscribe to that. Mm -hmm. I have I have most of an I have most of a um, an edition right now that is just a lot of word salad that I'm trying to bully into something coherent. Yeah, I, I wrote up a, about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I wrote up probably a 250 word mini essay after the penultimate episode, most of which feels not quite relevant after the last one. Um, which I will say, uh, last thing I will say about this show is I enjoyed this season how every episode, because it's dropped week by week, everyone has time to digest and vent on the internet and read the think pieces and write the think pieces and tweet about it. Um, <clears throat> and then frequently in this season, um, the very next episode was in di felt like it was in dialogue with the critiques of the week. Um the last episode especially did a lot of things that were in like directly in communication with um, what the internet was complaining about, which I think is fascinating because clearly it was shot, you know, months ago. Apparently they added in a scene of John petting ghost in the last episode, which is good because what jerk <laughs> sends his dog off with somebody else and doesn't pet him john you monster i i've heard competing rumors on whether they added that in or whether that had always been there um i don't i don't care i choose to believe actually i, I like I'm that it was always there and that when people were freaking yeah. out a few weeks ago they were just like huh it'll be fine I sort of, before I watched the finale, I was imagining John reuniting with Ghost, and I was like, I kind of hope that Ghost gives him the cold shoulder, and is like, no, I'm Tormund's buddy now. Yeah. I got my other dad. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that seems like a pretty good place to end talking about petting CGI direwolves. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find us, as you well know, because you're listening to this, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, 
Everywhere else fine podcasts are found, please rate and review and tell your friends. Um, obviously, Game of Thrones is super popular right now. Everyone's talking about it. Get someone to listen to this episode. Uh, you can find us online at Twitter and Instagram uh, at our handle DYDYH podcast. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework? And you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Um, yeah, and uh, you can find me at Pico uh, on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, uh, politics and pop culture. Uh, Martha, you mentioned a subscription to a tiny letter. Where can people find you on the internet? Sure. Um, if you are at all interested in my more elaborate thoughts about pop culture, you can subscribe to my newsletter at tinyletter.com forward slash magical Martha. Um, it is basically whatever I feel like talking about on a semi-regular weekly basis. <laughs> um Recently, I talked about Endgame in a non-spoilery fashion. I will be talking about Game of Thrones in an extremely spoilery fashion. I always put spoiler warnings because I'm not a monster. Um, you can find me on basically all the places. If you search Magical Martha, I've been using the same internet handle since I was 14 um, because sometimes I'm afraid of change. <laughs> well, and you have a brand. <laughs> yes. Um, so next episode, we are going to be sending Pete into exile for the moment, um, and I am going to be leading a discussion with an all-ladies cast. Uh, returning guests of the show, Marn and Michelle, will be joining me to get into the Mary Sue trope um, and what that has, what that means, what it looks like, how it's a fake idea. Um, your homework for that episode is nominally to read some of the discourse that has popped up um, around the idea. Uh, I think Star Wars has some choice discourse if you really want to tear your hair out. Um, <laughs> you can always go back to a classic like Twilight. At least read the TV Tropes page uh, for Mary Sue so you can have some idea of what we're talking about. We're not going to be discussing... Uh, we're not going to be picking specific homeworks uh, in favor of discussing it in a more, in a broader sense of the idea. Yes, the episode is both an all-ladies episode and an all-people-who-start-with-M uh, episode, talking about another yes. person who starts with an M. So, uh, But we're still making Pete do our editing. Yes, obviously. Because that's how we do. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, uh, I think that'll do it. This episode's in the can. Talk to you in two weeks. Class dismissed. Cool. I was going to say, we kept that one... We kept that one pretty tight. This is going to be under an hour. The current... Recording clock is saying one hour, and we started at like two minutes in and had a you know couple minute break there. So sweet. <laughs>